This morning's scripture reading comes from Psalm 1. Uh, please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners tank, take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so are the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So I would like to invite my friend Aaron Hilliker to come on up. And Erin's going to help us introduce this series. She knows something about anxiety, and she's a, a junior in, uh, at high, in high school. And um, so speaking for yourself or maybe for your peers, what are uh, some of the causes or, or root sources of anxiety in your life, Erin? All right, so being a teenager, a lot of things stress me out, and I haven't met another teenager that isn't at least somewhat stressed out. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot of things. But one of the main things is like thinking about the future and just where will I end up in the future? Like, am I working hard enough to end up in a good place or am I going to completely fail? Or, you know, other things are like, do I belong amongst all the kids at my school? And, uh, that's pretty stressful, especially with people with anxiety and social anxiety like me. <laughs> and um, hey, What's she doing right now? Yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, most of these people out here are just glad it's you and not them. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. I mean, being up here right now is, like, terrifying for me. I'm trying, though. <laughs> um, and also just current events, like, you know, all the hurricanes and the incident in Las Vegas and North Korea and all that. It's just really... All the... just It's just really hard for me to accept that I can't do anything about it because it's just... I want to do something about it, but there's... I mean... There's, I literally cannot control it, and but still, all these thoughts are constantly swimming in my head, and it's just hard to like, you know, do work and the stuff that I need to do for school while still thinking about these things. Do you have a math class, by the way? Yeah. Oh, gee, well, <laughs> anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've watched you, and you know, I've um, I've seen you really anxious, and I, you're up here now. So you wouldn't you say you've grown? Yeah, I think I would. Yeah, <laughs> like a lot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So let's talk about the how the church could um, maybe help understand and do something better. Or um, the best way that the church could help was maybe to just pray. You know, just I don't know. You can't. I mean, just. Everybody here probably has at least something that they're anxious about, and so just pray, praying for like everyone in the church in general would be good, because you know God will, and just like knowing that God will be there to like you know guide your path straight and all that mm-hmm. would it would it would be good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, isn't it helpful? Uh, I mean, one of the things that's cool about a church is that you have different ages of people. And when somebody stands up and they say, this is what I struggle with, you find out that the 
you know, because one of our big struggles is we think we're the only one. It's one of those whispers that we hear, we're the only one. And you having the um, uh, courage to be up here today is freeing for a lot of people. And I just want to really thank you. She was up here at the first service, and we had, yeah, it was really good. So can you guys give her a big hand? And Aaron uh, touched on a few things there that were going to be some themes that we're going to be working through in this um, series. But she, she, I think one thing that she said is that anxiety resides in our hearts, but then there, there's the outside world, uh, not just right around us, but the ge- geopolitical world. And so I read this week where the, the geopolitical anxiety index is at its highest point in seven years. How does that make you feel? Less anxious or more? <laughs> it kind of confirms probably what you already know. But uh, the things uh, of the heart, though, is where we're going to be focusing. When I was with a group of community leaders a while back, there's actually an ongoing conversation that was called together by the chief of police here asking community leaders uh, what the starting point was asking, what, is the, what are the main needs of our community? And the first one identified uh, was community connectiveness in uh, the area as we have so many diverse populations moving to the area and having a sense of unity as opposed to just separate stuff. So that was, that was really, is number one amongst all these groups and it was included people from education and churches and very different organizations in the community. The second one, though, was anxiety and depression, particularly in teens. So thank you, Aaron, for making that more personal to us. And then the third one had to do with uh, drug and alcohol abuse. So just those are the things that have been identified as the, the top three concerns in our community by your community leaders. And uh, obviously there's other concerns, like traffic. And that makes you anxious, right? Some of you, yeah. Uh, But those were the top three. Now, what we're going to do in the six weeks is focus in on this theme of anxiety. And uh, I want to give a couple of of caveats. Because you see on the graphic that we went with, we originally designed it without the question mark on the end. And I thought, you know, that's not right. There's nobody. That's too much to hope for in this world that somebody would have no worries. I mean, we're talking about no worries. And uh, in fact, we'll, we'll see next week that stress has a positive side to it. And that uh, I flew home last night and I'm so glad that somebody worried about how those wings on the airplane work and all that stuff. You know, I mean, they're, they're, just to give you an illustration of we need stress to be who God wants us to be. And he uses stress in our lives. The problem is when we get too much stress. So uh, Hakuna Matata is a great little song, but it's not a good life. You know, who, who wants to work next to somebody who has no worries and you're doing all their work for them, right? <laughs> Does that make it? So uh, uh, what we're going to do in this series is not try to take away anxiety, although there may be ways that you'd want to restructure your life, but mostly it's about restructuring our hearts the stuff on the inside, so that we can uh, access the resources of heaven as we walk upon this earth 
as human beings, and in the midst of, of anxious situations, have less anxiety. That's our goal. Okay. Now, the other thing I want to say is that there are various uh, levels and types of anxiety, and I have to be careful to not say something that is inappropriate for one person that might be appropriate for another. So just give me some grace there. But if, if you have, uh, let me just give you the list, the partial list, social anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety disorder. Uh, there's moral anxiety. There's people who struggle with panic attacks. There's PTSD. And the list goes on. And if I were to say that, you know, just, just stop worrying as an act of the will, I saw that. Where's the T-shirt that I saw? Trying harder is not a solution. Somebody has a T-shirt that said that. But it, it, is, it applies. Trying harder is not the solution. Uh, you, these things, some of these things happen to us. We have anxiety, and uh, you may need uh, medicine. There may, I mean, there's other resources that God provides. And uh, so we're not, we don't want to fall into that. Because if I tell you, if you're a worrier, and I tell you to stop worrying, uh, God doesn't like that, what do you what do? You do? You start worrying more, right? That, uh, so we don't want to go there. All right, so we want to lean into the resources of heaven, and that's where we're going this morning. And um, we're gonna, one of the resources is the imagination, and we'll see that. Um, anxiety is common. We're going to look at Psalm 1, and uh, we'll, we'll focus in on that theme first. And then meditation is good. We'll find that in the psalm, and then the image of the tree. So let's begin with Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man or person, we can, this works for both men and women, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seek of mockers. Okay. So let's just start with this, this uh, idea, and I'll try to get to this text. But the idea is that um, you're at an intersection in life where you have to make a decision. And you know, you know from early in life that choices have what? Consequences. You guys took the same class I did. Yeah. <laughs> Every parent says that line, right? Yeah. And... Um, so here's the, here's the deal. Uh, my seminary professor, Dr. James Houston, I remember him saying this, that speaking in a broad sense, as only he could, but that freedom of choice is a two-edged sword. It gives us dignity, right? That's, that's part of being human, is to have that dignity to make a choice. When you're standing at that intersection, you can go this way or that way. But it also gives us anxiety. Freedom gives dignity, and freedom gives anxiety. Because you're wondering as you're standing there, am I going to make the right choice? And that produces an anxiety. Now, in this situation, it's moral anxiety. It's a moral choice. And there's the blessed man, and there's the man who is, uh, or the righteous man and the, right, and the unrighteous man. And the righteous man, if he chooses to go God's way, he's going to have anxiety often. Because following God's way isn't always clear in terms of, um, it, it seems harder. And that being harder, it, you might suffer peer pressure, be ridiculed or whatever. But as you stand at that intersection, at that T in the road, and you, you go God's way, you will experience some anxiety there. But you will also uh, promise, the promise is, and this is that you take this on faith, that later on, when you get to the consequences of that choice, you will experience less anxiety. So that's a walk of faith. 
On the other side, if you choose to go the way of the self, the self-thought, you know, I feel, I think, basing everything in yourself, and you go to the unrighteous way, you put off the anxiety. It's a lot easier to go that way. It's lower anxiety. But when you get to the consequences, what happens to anxiety? It goes up. That's, that's what the psalm is saying. So it's almost like you can trade. You either have anxiety on the front end or you have it on the other end when you face the consequences. That's really a big message in Scripture. So... Um, we are at, a, at that intersection, and our, our palms are sweaty, and uh, we're wondering what to do. And uh, this takes us back to the Garden of Eden. Let's go to the first time there was a T in the road, this crossroads. And the, the man and the woman there, the, the question was put before them. They had the dignity to, without the anxiety, as they were in that place, that perfect world, and they took the path that went this way. I'm sorry for all of you who sit on this side. I'm not saying that you're all, you know, unrighteous and you guys are all righteous. You guys are too proud if you think that. So, but they, they went the wrong way. And they decided that their way of thinking, their I feel, I think, would lead to more freedom. And in fact, their freedom got constricted as they made that, that bad call that has effect, infected and affected all of us. So it begins there, and as they, as they make that decision that seems like freedom, and, but actually ends in a bad place, they, become, they feel things inside themselves as they're standing there in the garden naked. For the first time, they realize they're naked. That was not a category of thought in their lives. And for, you know, obviously for all of us, it is. We are uh, on this side of their decision. So... Um, they become alienated. We would put words of, these words to it. They're alienated in four ways. Theologically, they're alienated from God now. They don't feel the, the intimacy that they did before. They're alienated from each other socially. So theologically, socially, they're now uh, alienated from each other. And they're alienated from their world, the, the environment. And then they're alienated psychologically within themselves. And that feeling of being alienated from yourself, within yourself, is what we would call anxiety, or if you like the word angst, that's what that is. So we, we suffer from this thing inside of us. So let me, let me give you a couple of illustrations from my life, just to um, add to what Aaron said earlier. But when I was in grade school, uh, I, Sundays were um, a great day but Sunday nights were the worst because school was on Monday and I had anxiety associated with going to school. <laughs> Can anybody relate to that in kind of a general way, right? Yeah. If I bring up the word algebra, some of you get hives. I know that. So. But this was grade school before algebra and uh, I could not understand within myself there was this thing going on inside of me. It, it would be midnight on a Sunday night and I'm laying there in bed and I'm anxious and in part, I'm anxious because I can't sleep, and I can't sleep because I'm anxious. Does that make sense? You know that feeling where you just... And then you go to school the next day, and you can't perform well, which makes, because of the sleep thing, which makes you more anxious. And this went on for, it seemed like years in those years, but I don't, I don't really know how many... But it was, it was Sunday nights. It was always Sunday night. Another episode in my life, just to uh, try to open this up to all, is that um, 
When I was 40-ish, I, there was something that was going on here, and I couldn't understand it, and I'd go to the doctors for you know, tests and all those scope things and different tests, and they couldn't understand it. And I remember this doctor saying, I think it must be stress. And I said, well, yeah, I'm stressed out because nobody can find out what's wrong. And you get into this loop. <laughs> you ever? Sounds like you've been there, maybe. Eventually, uh, and, and by the way, that came with some depression. That, that, and anxiety and depression tend to go together. They're not the same, but one leads to the other. And uh, that was not, but I got through that. And, uh, but those are the kind of spikes that every life story has, I think. I want to give you uh, a definition of general anxiety disorder. Uh, and this will help. Now, general, it is a disorder, but it's, and it's generalized. But what I want to argue here is that we're all on the spectrum. Everybody. And you'll see something in here that you are, you know, you may struggle with or you have struggled with at some point. GAD is characterized by persistent and excessive worry about a number of different things. People with GAD may anticipate disaster. That's one of the, the big things is anticipating disaster. Uh, it's, it's fear of the future, what's, what might happen. And maybe overly concerned about money, health, family, work, or other issues. Overly concerned. So concern is, this is what we'll get to next week. Concern is okay. It, it, we'll, that's, a, that's an okay form of worry. But worry is concern gone bad. And that's where we, we all have tended to go uh, at some point. Individuals with GAD find it difficult to control their worry. They may worry more than seems warranted about actual events or may expect the worst even when there is no apparent reason for concern. So one of the things, uh, I titled this Imagination and Anxiety, and I want to give you, we're going to get to a positive way we can use our imagination that the psalm gives us, but here's a, here's a, a little hint on the negative way. So you have an imagination. So that means you can imagine the worst possible things that can happen, and that's called catastrophizing. They have a word for that if it's helpful to you. But you take something that could be a problem and you blow it up, you inflate it, and it turns into this big catastrophe. And it hasn't, you know, you're, you, time-wise, it, it's still in the future. But it affect, the future affects your present and your present state of being. So this is uh, general, general anxiety disorder. Uh, those are, maybe that definition will help us to realize that we all struggle uh, at some level with anxiety. Are we all in it together? I'm just trying to make the case that we all, yeah, yeah, we are, we are, yes. All right, no worries, but worry, okay. All right, let's get to uh, something that's helpful. One of the tools in the psalm is meditation. Uh, the righteous man delights in the law of the Lord. The law here is the revelation of God and I'm just going to make a point that this is the Old Testament. The New Testament, the full revelation of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And the, the law of God is entailed in him who lived it out perfectly. So he is the revelation of God. So you might, when you hear law of God, don't think do's and don'ts, but think of God's standard for us, which is the person of Jesus Christ. So we delight in Jesus Christ. And we meditate if we use his name, we meditate upon him day and night. Or upon his word. And his word would include both testaments. So I'm using this holistically. Um, so we, we have to wrestle uh, 
let's just go a little deeper here. Uh, meditation, if I can give it a, try to define what meditation is, it's getting very focused mentally, but then allowing that mental, those words, that truth, to move from here roughly 18 inches to here, if I can just use that symbol of head to heart. And so you, you might memorize God's word, but you become mesmerized by his word. You become emotionally attached. You delight in it. It becomes food to your soul. It's not just words on a page. This is, and this is what happens in meditation. Now, there's, there's other kinds of meditation, and some of them uh, are not good for us. Uh, and transcendental meditation it has, comes with, with caution. But so a lot of the other types of meditation are about you and uh, discovering what is in you and some divine spark or whatever. Christian meditation is all about God. It's all about God. And you move, here's the thing I want you to hear. You move from self-consciousness to a God consciousness as you meditate. And it's hard to meditate. It takes, you have to get focused, get that time set aside, be in a good place. But you move from self-consciousness. By the way, anxiety produces a lot of self-consciousness, or self-consciousness produces a lot of anxiety. Maybe that's a better way to say it. I'm going to read you something here in a sec that will confirm that. But, but what we're trying to do then is, is to focus on God. Let me read from this book written by... Uh, her name is Kelly uh, McConigal from Stanford University. And she's become somewhat of an expert on stress and um, TED Talks and all the rest. And um, has some good stuff to say. And this, I'm going to read to you about social anxiety disorder. Now, remember what I said earlier, that we're all on the spectrum. And if you're an extreme extrovert, okay, you, you, you probably don't get on the spectrum. But for most of us, uh, we're going to be on this at some level. So here it is, social anxiety disorder is a complex and psychological condition, but one way to think of it is as a vicious cycle that traps people in social isolation. The cycle starts with anxiety about social interactions. People with social anxiety believe that they are not good in social situations, so they worry about them in advance. And if you've ever worried about going into a social, I mean, I, you know, you go into a church for the first time, you see how, if you bring this thing down a little bit, we are all uh, in this. Uh, they fear that they'll do something foolish and that others will judge them. Isn't that pretty common? Uh, they panic over whether they'll have to make, a sm uh, to make small talk and be able to escape or not. Uh, they might feel uh, claustrophobic in groups and worry that they'll get stuck in the crowd. When people with social anxiety disorder are actually in social situations, they tend to focus on themselves. See, here's the, the self-focus. So there's a, there's a future worrying part of it, and then there's this self-focus. Thoughts run through their head. I look stupid. Why did I just say that? I, I did that yesterday, by the way. That's how I, I was, I, yeah, I won't go into it. Because I would look stupid, and I don't want to look stupid, yeah. Uh, why did I say that? Uh, can they tell how nervous I really am? 
They feel awkward. They don't know what to say. And as they grow more anxious, their sweaty palms and their racing heart are taken as proof of their social inadequacy. There's something wrong with me. And they start to worry that their anxiety is actually dangerous. Why am I sweating so much? Am I having a heart attack? And at this point, this is my commentary, you basically need to watch a Woody Allen movie and laugh at yourself because he's the master of anxiety. But uh, that's, that gives you an idea of uh, what, what somebody with social anxiety struggles with. So you become extremely self-conscious. What meditation can do is take the focus off of you and put it on God. It's, it's, now, I, I did this six months ago in a, in a kind of a, I got to another gear in my prayer life and I was uh, struggling. I had a spike in my anxiety and I noticed it was going on and I didn't, I mean, I just, it kind of forced me onto my knees. See, this is where anxiety can be good. It forced me onto my knees. I hadn't prayed on my knees for a while. And, uh, you know, getting on your knees, it just, I don't know, somehow it clears the head. And I was able to meditate on God's word, his revelation to me, and it brought deeper peace to me in the midst of, the situation didn't change, but my heart did. Let me give you a couple of scriptures that will, I think these are just gems or gold nuggets in, in the word that might help you. Um, this is a righteous man from Psalm 112.7. Look at that phrase. He will have no fear of bad news. See, this, this is talking about that future thing that might happen. Do you know that one-third of social notifications or social media notifications raise anxiety levels? That's the, kind of the national average that I've been told. But you, you're, you're set free from that. Uh, no fear of bad news. And this is, so that's written in the sense of a male. This is written in the context of a female. Proverbs 31. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. Isn't that a beautiful picture of someone laughing at the days to come? Now, why can the man and why can the woman look to the future? How can they do that and not worry? It, this, both of these places in Scripture give us the answer. It says that both of them fear the Lord. They fear the Lord. Now, we struggle when we hear that, but just so you know, in the Old Testament, the word, when you see that phrase, fear the Lord, you'll often see it used in the same sentence even. In Deuteronomy, you'll see this. They love the Lord. Loving the Lord and fearing the Lord go together. They, that's just, they're interrelated. And it means that you have a great deal of respect for God and what he says and the revelation that he has given you. And if you have that in your heart, and if you meditate, take that in internally, not just with your ears, but into your heart, it can uh, give you this extra protection. This is one of those tools to meditate upon God's revelation day and night. Okay, so there's the meditation. We find that in verse 2. And then in verse 3, he gives us an image of uh, a tree. So uh, the tree is, uh, this person, this righteous person, is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. I mentioned earlier that the imagination is one of the most powerful parts of your being. This is something that God gave you. C.S. Lewis has written much on this. If you want to hear his voice, you can go. I can point you. But the, the imagination is capable of um, such amazing things. And so the image that God gives of a tree is something that you want to grab onto. So he gives other images. He is like a rock. He is like a fortress. 
Uh, I mean, there's much imagery in the scriptures. But this idea of, of a tree uh, can counteract the catastrophizing that you might do. So let's, uh, let's go there. The tree is, is uh, green. It's, we, we need to note that it's got leaves and that it has fruit in season. Not all the time. It's not always fruitful, but it's fruitful when it's supposed to be fruitful. And it's planted by a stream of water. And the idea here is that the stream of water is what really gives life to the tree. So the question for us in our walk is, are we planted by a source of life or not? The imagery of, that's contrasted with the tree is that of chaff, which is blown in the wind, which was organic material that is now dead, but it was once living, and it blows around and there's no rootedness to it, no, no life in it. That's the contrast here. That's the way of the person who comes to that tea in the, inner, in the, in the road and does the I think, I feel, instead of God says, I obey. That's the, that's the consequence of it. So the, the person who is, is rooted has a sense of shalom about them. Shalom is really the word that we're after when we think about what's the contrast with anxiety. It's shalom. It means it is well with my soul. It is good. And that doesn't mean that everything is out there is good. It just means that what's in here is good. It is well with me. Because of God, I'm deeply rooted in him. I want to give you an image from American history here, and we'll close with a prayer, or we're going to do a little uh, exercise in meditation and imagination. But this is from 1995, April 19th, Oklahoma City. Um, Some of you remember that horrible thing. I think it was 163 people were killed and 400 some wounded. And the last, it, it was American terrorism as was Las Vegas. So this would be on that scale. But right here, it's really hard to see, but there's a little tinge of green. And there was a tree right there. And I visited, uh, they, they tore down, the, by the time I got there, two years later, it was 97, uh, I tore, they tore down the building. But that tree was still there. Now let me tell you about the tree. It was almost blown apart. It was April, so there was some green on it when it happened, but they found uh, lots of glass embedded in it and other things, and limbs torn from it. And people, as they were planning the memorial and what to do next, they said, we should just tear it down. And then somebody said, that's not a good idea. And so this is the tree. It's called the survivor tree, whose roots go down deep and whose leaves are green. And I don't know about the fruit part, but... It, it stands as a reminder uh, of hope in, uh, in the midst of what would be called a catastrophe. That the catastrophe does not have the last word. And a tree is a, string, a symbol of strength and hope. A survivor tree, you might even say a thriving survivor tree. Now, just quickly, as we go to the book of Revelation, so we start in, you know, I mentioned Genesis earlier. There's that tree of the knowledge of good and evil from which we ate our, our, four, uh, our, an, our ancestors way back when ate from. And that point of dignity uh, that they had to choose there, they used it in the wrong way, and anxiety came in behind. 
In the garden, there was also something called the tree of life. There were two trees mentioned specifically, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. We find that same tree of life, again, at the end of the Bible, and it's in the book of Revelation, chapter 22. And I'm only going to read two verses for you as uh, we close, and let this be um, God's word to you. Then the angel, this is at the end of time as we know it, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. That would be Jesus. Down the middle of the great street of the city, the New Jerusalem. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. There's our, our image. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And for you and me in our hearts, as we're anxious, don't you want to touch those leaves? Allow them to heal you. This is the tree of life. The river, the, the imagery we have there is of a tree that is rooted on both sides of, the, of this river of life. It's an amazing picture. How can the tree, it says it was on both sides. So it, it opens up, the trunk opens up, and the river of life runs through it, sustained by God himself. So what I want to do right now is take the image of a tree and form it into a prayer and allow us to do a little bit of meditating. So join me if you will. Uh, it help, it's probably helpful to close your eyes, but uh, don't go to sleep. How's that? Okay, let's pray. Gentle Lord Jesus, um, be present to us now. And we, we confess our uh, struggles with getting focus, with uh, meditating, getting uh, that clear, clear, sharp picture and hearing from you in a, in a, in a focused way. And we also acknowledge to you, Lord, our anxiety. So much of our distraction comes from our places of anxiety, our self-orientation, our worrying about the future. So pray, I pray, Lord, calm our anxious hearts. Calm them now. Make me, Lord, like a well-watered tree. Heal me.